the title of the lesson, Malta and the Journey to Rome. So we're going to focus in on Malta just a little bit. I'll go ahead and bring up this next slide. In Paul's journey to Rome, they end up going to Malta uh, because that hurricane uh, pushes them there. And there's three points that we're going to take a look at. The journey, the beginning, the journey, the end. That's not a misprint. That's the way I organized this, okay? So it's going to be the journey, the beginning, the journey, the end, and then we're going to come back to the middle because that's where Malta is, kind of in the middle of this journey here. So uh, I want to kind of inform you, heads up, uh, we're going to take a look at Acts 28. That's where we are headed, but we're going to start off in Acts chapter 1 because we just finished the book of Acts, a tremendous book. And so we're going to kind of take a quick journey through there and then end up in Acts chapter 28 because I want to make this point. God told Paul he was going to Rome. Paul said he wanted to go to Rome. And sometimes we look at Acts chapter 27 and we go, well, that journey's finally beginning to Rome. I think that journey for Paul started a long time ago. And we'll kind of watch it unfold as we give consideration to the, book of, to the book of Acts. So as we take a look at this this morning and we think about Luke's account, uh, because he's the one that wrote this, and he's that beloved physician, and he's that traveling companion, and he's that historian, he's the one that compiles this. He puts this together and he's with Paul at the close of this book too. And he's with Paul on this particular journey as they leave Caesarea and they head out out to Rome. The book of Acts, sometimes we don't recognize this right off. It only covers about a 30 year span. It's talking about approximately 32 A.D. and it closes in about 62 A.D. It's only about a 30-year span. There's a tremendous amount of events that take place in that 30-year span as the gospel is preached and it goes throughout the world. But it, when it begins, and that's where Paul begins, or Luke begins, I'm sorry, where Luke begins. At the beginning of this book, and Jesus has been resurrected, And for a period of 40 days, he has appeared to many and to his disciples. And at one time, over 500, all on one occasion. But as Luke begins to record this, he's with the disciples. He's with the apostles. And he's giving some of those final instructions before he ascends. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled with together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's telling them, you're going to be my witnesses. And I want you to go wait into the city to receive that promise. And you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Because the work that I'm giving you to do, don't try it on your own. (laughs) You need help. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is going to aid you in this work. And just moving on down a couple of verses to verse 8. He will tell them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. And that's exactly the way we see it taking place. So I want to follow that just a little bit. In Acts chapter 2 is exactly where we see that promise falls upon these apostles. That particular time the gospel is preached for the very first time. It's the apostle Peter that delivers that message on that occasion. But in Acts chapter 2 what we see there is the falling of the Holy Spirit. But what you also see there is you see Daniel chapter 2 and you see Daniel chapter 7 alive and well and being fulfilled right there in Acts chapter 2. He is now sitting on His throne. He has now received His kingdom. The commission is going forth and the gospel is being preached. His reign has begun. And you see people respond. And they're seeking forgiveness. And at the close of Acts chapter 2, the Lord is adding to the church such as should be saved. And the gospel starts right there in Jerusalem. Just as he said, this is where it will begin. So we follow that along and we go through chapters 3 and chapters 4 and into chapters 5. And the gospel is being preached and disciples are being made and numbers are being multiplied And you see that gospel begin to spread. And it goes from Jerusalem. And then it begins to permeate out into Judea. Just like he said it would. But Satan's not happy about that. And this gospel's being preached. And people being saved. And so Satan's got to get right in the middle of it. And persecution begins. But the very thing that Satan believes is going to thwart this is the very thing that ends up aiding this. Because you know what happens? Whenever these disciples are persecuted, it doesn't shut them up. It scatters them. And they start to go everywhere. And the very next thing we see is they are down in Samaria. What Jesus say? Jerusalem, Judea. There it goes. And there goes the gospel. And now it's in Samaria. And Philip, the evangelist, he's preaching there. And then the apostles come down there. But this persecution is continuing. And one of the primary leaders in that persecution is who? It's a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. But then in Acts chapter 9, As he has gotten letters and he has set off to go to the city of Damascus, the Lord himself appears to him and he is struck blind and he is humbled by this experience. And he's also told this, you go into the city and you wait and it will be told you what you must do. And then after three days, you know who shows up? A man by the name of Ananias that the Lord sent. And what does he tell him? You're a chosen vessel of mine. 
And you're going to see many things that you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And you are going to witness to Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. You are. Saul. And then Ananias tells him, Why terrorist? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the Lord. And that's what he does. And here's this leading persecutor that has been shown grace and mercy and he becomes a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ and an apostle. In the first part of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 12, the primary focus is on the Apostle Peter. But now following this, and I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit, when you get to chapter 13, the focus changes. And now it's no longer Saul, he's called Paul. And he's at the church in Antioch in Syria and Barnabas is there with him and they've been teaching in that particular area there. And then the Holy Spirit says that he wants to set apart Paul and Barnabas for work that he has got for them to do. And that's what we refer to as the first missionary journey. And so there they go. And they head out and they end up in Galatia and they spread the gospel. And is it challenging? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Read chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Acts. And the various places they go, and they're chased out of town and oftentimes, and they are persecuted. And in one case, and Paul is stoned and left for dead. But does he quit? Not this guy. <laughs> he goes on to the next city, and then he turns around, and he heads right back where he came from. And on the way back, you know what he does? He appoints elders in those churches that they have established. And then he journeys all the way back to Antioch of Syria. And that's that first missionary, very first missionary journey. And they have made disciples. They have established churches. They have appointed elders. And they have preached the gospel through Jesus Christ. And the gospel is going to further and further parts of the world. But now they're back in Antioch. Satan's still not happy about all this. <laughs> and so he's got his that are saying, you can't be saved by the gospel. What you've got to do is you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep the law, and then you can be a Christian. And there are some of those men that leave Jerusalem and they come down to Antioch. <laughs> and Paul and Barnabas lay into them. And it says there is no small dissension about this because they're trying to bind the law on these Christians. And so it's decided that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem because that's where the problem came from. And they go up there and they meet with James and other apostles and the elders and brethren. And this whole issue is discussed. And to kind of cut to the chase and wrap it up in a nutshell, it's determined, do not lay that yoke on them. 
That's what Peter says. Because we ourselves, our fathers, could not bear that yoke of the law. So you keep preaching the gospel. You keep preaching that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and by faith. And that by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's what Paul will say when he writes to those churches of Galatia. And so after that, they go back to Antioch. And so once they're back to Antioch, Paul's kind of restless and let's go back and let's visit those churches that we established before. And so Paul and Silas this time set out, not by sea, but by land. And they go north, Damascus, Syria, and then they turn west and back through Galatia. And after they travel a while, they want to go south and they want to go north. The Holy Spirit forbids them until finally Paul receives a vision. And what's that vision say? It's a man calling to them. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so what do they do? They launch out for Macedonia. And then they end up in Philippi. And then they convert some people. And a church established there. And from (coughs) Philippi, they go south. They go to Thessalonica. And they do some good there, but there's some trouble there. And then they go on down to Berea. And then from there, they go further south, clear into Achaia. And that's kind of what's going on with that second missionary journey. And then Paul will return once again, and he will go all the way back to Antioch of Syria. And he's not there long. And he launches out again. What we refer to as the third missionary journey. And one of the places that he will go is to Asia and to Ephesus, a place that he had promised him that he would come back to. And this time he goes there and he ends up spending three years there. And at the close of that time, There's a big uproar. And Paul and others are in danger of losing their lives. And there are some of those that are ready to get back on the boat and head back to Jerusalem or back to Antioch. (laughs) And what does Paul say? Not yet. I ain't going yet. I'm going back. And where does he go? He leaves Asia. He heads back to Macedonia. He ends up going south. He goes all the way to Achaia and down to Corinth. This is getting close to the end of the third missionary journey. And while he's in Corinth, you know what he does while he's there? He writes the most doctrinal letter of the entire New Testament. He writes the book of Romans. And when he writes to that church in Rome, you know what he says? I would sure like to come see you. (laughs) I would love to come to Rome. And I would love to impart some gift to you. And when I come, I want you to help me on my way. Because I'm not satisfied. I want to go further west. I've gone to Asia. (laughs) I've gone to Macedonia. I've gone south. 
And now I want to go further west. I want to go to Rome. And from you, I want to go further to Spain. And I want you to help me on my way. And then he turns. And he heads back north. And he goes east. And he goes south. Remember those elders from Ephesus? And he stops in Miletus. And he meets with them. And he continues his journey towards Jerusalem. Why is he going there? Remember that when we studied that? He wanted to be there by the time Pentecost rolled around. Remember that? And as he continues on that journey, he's making various stops along the way. And what are they telling him? Don't go there. (laughs) There's nothing but trouble and persecution waiting you there. Paul says, I'm going. It hasn't stopped him before. I'm going. And you remember when he gets to Caesarea? There's a fellow there by the name of Philip. Remember him? He was early in the book of Acts. Philip the Evangelist. And Paul stops there. Stays with him for a while. And there's a guy that shows up by the name of Agabus. Tells him once again, they're going to bind you. (laughs) There's nothing but trouble waiting for you. And Paul says, what do you mean trying to break my heart? I'm ready to go. I'm willing to die. And so they give up. He's going to do it. (laughs) And he keeps going. And he heads for Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, what happens? Just exactly what he had been told. Trouble's waiting for you. And when he goes into the temple, there's those same teachers, those Judaizing teachers. And they said, this man is nothing but trouble. And they accused him of speaking against Moses and against the law. And they said he even brought a Gentile into the temple. And that got things all stirred up. And then they seize him. They beat him. They would have killed him. Except for what? A Roman centurion. The Roman soldiers. They intervene and arrest him. Luckily, he would have lost his life right there. But what that does, that starts a two-year imprisonment. And so Paul is going to be taken from Jerusalem down to Caesarea, because that's the Roman capital for that area. And he's held there under fickle, (laughs) ignorant, biased Roman governors. First Felix, and then Festus, and then Agrippa. And after two years, Paul is finally frustrated with it all. And what's he do? He says, I appeal to Caesar. And so it's decided. Since you asked to see Caesar, then that's exactly where you're going to go. And so it's determined. 
that he's going to be sent to Rome. This may not have been originally the way Paul thought he would be going to Rome. (laughs) But he's going. And while he was in Jerusalem, and while he was going through all that turmoil, who was it that appeared to him? It was the Lord himself. Take courage, Paul. You've testified about me here. And you're going to be my witness in Rome. You won't die here, Paul. You're going to go to Rome. So finally it's determined that they're going to send him. And that's where we've kind of picked up the story here recently in Acts chapter 27. And that's what Luke records for us. And if you notice there in Acts chapter 27, Luke will use one of those pronouns again. (laughs) And when it was determined that we should set sail for Rome, and who does he say is with him? Aristarchus, Macedonian. And so it's Luke, faithful Luke. Aristarchus and Paul as a prisoner. And they're going to sail from Caesarea and they're going to go north and then they're going to go west. They'll go south. On that ship. But it's interesting too that there's a certain man, a certain Roman centurion that is mentioned there at the beginning of Acts chapter 28. It's one Julius that is mentioned by name. And so when they get on board and then they start to head north, the first stop that they make is at Sidon. And this centurion is kind to Paul and lets him go to his friends. But once he goes to his friends and then they start north, they sail just off the coast of Lycia and heading along the coast to what would become Asia. And one of the reasons why they do that, and one of the details that Luke records for us there, is this is after the days of the fast. What does that mean? What that's telling us is that's the fast that is connected with a special feast day. That feast day is the day of atonement. And the reason why Luke records that, I believe, is because it helps us to identify what time of year it is. This is late in the year. This is fall. And he says it's past time now. It's past those days. So why does he say that? Because sailing on the Mediterranean essentially stops in the late fall and into the winter because it's too dangerous to be out on the sea. But they continue. And they go to Myra. And then they get on an Alexandrian ship. The centurion finds another ship for them to sail on. And it's interesting too 
Gerald mentioned this, that this is like reading a journal. And that Luke gives these kind of little details. And I can almost see myself (laughs) saying some of the words that Luke says at this particular time. He says, up to this point, the sailing had been slow. You ever go on a a trip? Now, this is not a road trip. This is a water trip. (laughs) You ever go on a trip and go, are we there yet? (laughs) I'm ready (laughs) And he says, the sailing's sailing's been slow. So this Alexandrian ship, they decide to go south. Well, that may be maritime reasoning, I guess. But that's where they made the mistake. So they go to the south and they go down around the Isle of Crete. And they come to a place called Fair Havens. And Paul says, men, we ought to stay here. Because it's past. The days of the fast. You'd be better off to winter right here. But it says the centurion and the captain of the ship And the owner of the vessel, they don't listen to Paul. Now, I think what's interesting there, too, also, it doesn't say at this particular time that the Lord told Paul to tell them. But Paul tells them, and it's good advice. But they say, no, we'd like to make it just a little further. We would like to make it to that western end of the Isle of Crete, a place called Phoenix. That would be a better place to harbor for the winter. They should have listened to Paul. (laughs) Because as they try to set sail, that's when that northeastern hits them. And it drives them away from the Isle of Crete. You know where they didn't want to be? They didn't want to be out in the middle of the Mediterranean in the wintertime. But the very place that they did not want to be may have very well been the place where God wanted them. So I'll ask you this question. Who controls the winds and the waves and the sea? And so now where are they headed? They're headed right out into the middle of the Mediterranean. And based upon the language that Luke uses there, this is a terrible storm. This is a hurricane. This is when it gets really dangerous. This is when it gets life-threatening. 
this is when they start to take some action that they think will save their hide, so to speak. And so they're throwing things overboard and they're trying to lighten the ship and they're taking ropes and they're wrapping it around the hull and trying to undergird this thing until it won't get broken up. And then it says for many days they did not see the sun nor the stars. Well, that's unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather be out on the water and see the sun during the day, see the stars at night, and the nights? You ever been on a cruise? <laughs> we have. But Luke's not just a tour guide. <laughs> you know what he's saying? When you're out in the middle of the Mediterranean, you don't know really where you're at. But you're sailing, and the way in which you navigate is by the heavenly bodies, isn't it? And what he is saying is, we can't see them. So they're just flying blind, so to speak. We don't know where we are exactly and we don't know where we're going and we've got no control over this situation at all. We're just victims. We're just riding out the storm. (coughs) And then Luke records that there finally came a point in time where they gave up all hope. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when people come to the end of their rope, so to speak, that's exactly the time when they're finally ready to listen? Now, do you remember when Paul was back at Fair Havens and they were there? And he says, man, we ought to stay here. But there wasn't nobody going to have any of that. (laughs) But he's just a prisoner. He's just a prisoner on that ship. Who are you to be telling us how to sail this ship? All I've ever heard is you're a tent maker. (laughs) Never heard you're a sailor. And so they don't listen. But now... They're at the end of their rope. And Luke says, we've given up all hope. Well, guess what? An angel appears to Paul. And he says, you're going to run aground on a certain island. You're going to lose this ship but you're not going to lose one single life. And so Paul goes to him and he tells him, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and to whom I serve told me We are going to run aground on a certain island. We are going to lose this ship, but not one life will be lost. 
And so now, after many days of no one taking any nourishment, Paul says, eat. Go ahead and eat. It's going to be okay. And so what's he do? He takes food in the presence of all. And he prays and eats. Why is this guy so calm? Because <laughs> his Lord told him what's going to happen. And his Lord's already told him, you're going to Rome. And Paul's fully confident that what he had said is exactly what is going to happen. And do you know what the response were from those people now? It said they all took courage. <laughs> wow. This guy's so calm. And he sounds so confident. We're not going to die. And if we lose this ship, so well. <laughs> but we're going to make it to land. It's going to be okay. And you know what it says just shortly after that? It says they started to sense some of the sailors. They, they were getting close to land. And sensing that they were getting close to land, they started to take soundings. And the first one it says it was about 20 fathoms. And then they took another one and it was about 15 fathoms. We're going in the right direction. <laughs> And Luke records that they've been caught up in this storm for 14 days. Two weeks. They've essentially been flying blind. And now it's turning out just like he said it would. And we're getting closer to land. And so when they finally spot it, they try to run that ship sort of head first. <laughs> Right into the rocks and the sand. And it sticks. It sticks. But the waves are beating against it. And they realize it's going to break this ship up. And so the soldiers become concerned. Because they've got these prisoners. And you know what happens to a Roman soldier if his prisoner gets away? We'll take your life since you lost his. So what do the soldiers decide would be a good thing to do now? Let's kill all the prisoners. You remember that Julius that I told you was spoken of in chapter 27, very first? Remember that Julius that I told you about that when they were in Fair Havens and Paul said we ought to stay here, he said, mm, no. Nah. You know what he says now? Don't kill those prisoners. And he specifically says, keep Paul alive. This guy may be special. <laughs> Don't kill him. So he's starting to change his thoughts about Paul a little bit, isn't he? And so now here they are. And it's turning out just exactly 
the way Paul said that his God said that it was going to turn out. They are now about 60 or 70 miles south of Syracuse, of of Sicily. They're probably about 400 miles south of Rome. Now, you know, sometimes when I read this, I kind of chuckle to myself a little bit. Paul wanted to go to Rome. God told him he was going to Rome. He just never told him he's going by way of Malta. (laughs) So now here they are. And they made it that far. Hold that thought. Because now we're going to the end. Acts chapter 28 at about verse 16. It says, Now when they came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Can you see that? At first, he's just a prisoner. And in Fairhavens, he's giving some advice that we're not going to listen to that. But now when they're out there in the middle of the Mediterranean, they do not know where they are. And Paul says, this is what's going to happen. And it turns out exactly the way he said. And when they get to Malta and the other soldiers want to kill him, this Julius, uh-uh. <laughs> you keep Paul alive. And then when they get to Rome, see what's happening? Here's the prisoners, but you take this one. And he's allowed to have his own rented quarters. Do you think the treatment is a little different for Paul than it is the rest of them? Why is that? Some three years earlier, Paul had said when he wrote that letter from Corinth, he wanted to go to Rome. And in Acts chapter 23, after he was in the midst of all that turmoil in Jerusalem, God appeared to him and said, you're going to Rome and you'll be a witness of mine there. And so now at the close of Acts, where is Paul? He's in Rome. Right where he wanted to go. Right where God said he would go. You know what I think I see? you see right there? You see a faithful Lord delivering a faithful servant. Let me see that. Now then, back up for a minute to a couple of weeks ago and Brian's teaching class. So I'll borrow from your question. Brian, if I don't get this right, you can correct. You said something to the effect of, I believe, why didn't God do for Paul what he did for Philip? Wasn't it something like that? You remember back there in Acts 8 chapter Philip's down there in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. 
And then the Spirit tells him, I want you to take that road going south out of Jerusalem, going down to Gaza. And so Philip hightails it on over there. And lo and behold, here comes this Ethiopian riding in a chariot, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit says, go up and join yourself to him. And so he does, and we remember the rest of the story, right? He preaches Jesus to him, and they come to some water, and he says, where's the water? What hin- the, the eunuch does, what hinders me from being baptized? And it says, Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. They came up out of the water, and what happened? It says <laughs> that the Spirit snatched Philip away. And where does he show up? In Azotus. And I have a feeling there's probably some people looking at him going, how'd you get all wet? (laughs) And he's probably saying, anybody got a towel? (laughs) He's here. Now he's here. There may have been time Paul thought that. There may have been time Luke thought that. (laughs) Why didn't the Lord just zap us from... Caesarea right into Rome. That'd be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? So I was thinking about that, Brian. And I thought, you know, at Sinai, it's not that long of a walk to the promised land. It took them 40 years to get there. (laughs) And the Lord wanted them there. Why didn't he just zap them? You know why? Because they had to learn something about faithfulness. And he wanted them to exhibit faithfulness. And he wanted them to come to trust in him as a faithful God. So Brian, my answer to that is God had a reason. He had a faithful servant but he wanted him to exhibit his faithfulness. And he wanted to show he's a faithful God. Can we see that? So Paul's in Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he calls for those Jews and they come to him and he tells them how he got there. And they said, well, we ain't heard about all that, that turmoil in law. I said, we just want to hear about this sect that you're a part of. And see, that's kind of the way some Jews were viewing this and some others were viewing it. That Christianity is just a sect of Judaism. No, they already proved that's not the way it is back in Acts 15. Christianity grew out of, but it is not a sect of Judaism. And so he tells them about the kingdom 
and about Jesus Christ. And when he tells them, what's their response? Acts chapter 28 and verse 24, it says, some believed and some didn't. Let me ask you, isn't that pretty much the way it's been ever since Paul started preaching? Every place he went? Some received him, some accepted him, some rejected him. Some believed, some didn't. And so as they start to go away, what's he do? He quotes from Isaiah, the sixth chapter, any passage that talks about there will be those who hear and they keep on hearing, but they don't hear. And they see and they keep on seeing, but they don't see. And why? Because their hearts are hard. And they won't listen. And they won't turn so that God might heal them. And how does the book of Acts close? There's Paul in Rome. And what's the last thing Luke records? He's preaching the kingdom of God and things pertaining to Jesus Christ. Imagine that. A faithful servant delivered by a faithful God And he's doing what he's always done. That's the end. But we ain't done. We got to go back to Malta. So now the middle. Acts chapter 28 and verse 1. And now they get on that island and they discover, hey, this is Malta. Why didn't they recognize it? They came from the west. You know where the most common port was? It was on the other side. Malta's not that big. It's only about 17 miles long, about 10 miles wide, but there's another port that's more suitable, and they end up crashing on this side. (laughs) And what are they going to do in three months? Three months from now, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go over to that Alexandrian ship, and they're going to board it, and then they're going to head towards Rome. And they'll go to Syracuse and they'll go to Regium and then they'll go to Patoli and then they'll go on up. But right now, they're on Malta. Now the reason why I come back to here is this. Do you ever stop and just think about Malta? Probably not, right? <laughs> like, what are about? <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> and they ask questions about Malta. How many Christians were on Malta? I don't know. How many churches were on Malta? I don't know. How many baptisms were there on Malta? I don't know. Does that strike you as just a little bit odd? (laughs) It does me. So what do you see? You see 276 people that make it to land. The ship, the cargo, and everything else is gone, but there's not one life that has been lost. They are all on that island. And these natives come out and they build a fire. Let me tell you, this is not a backyard barbecue. (laughs) You've got to have a fire big enough to warm 276 people. That won't fit in your fire pit, will it? (laughs) So it's a big fire. 
But you know what you notice when you read that? These people, they show hospitality. Isn't that nice? They show kindness, goodness towards these strangers. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Do you know what the golden rule is? Matthew 7 and verse 12, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what do you see? You see a bunch of natives here, and they're showing kindness, hospitality to these people they don't know. Do you know what Paul will write later? One of the qualifications for an elder is you ought to be hospitable. And he'll tell Titus the same thing. And Peter will say that all Christians ought to be hospitable. It's a virtue. And here you see these natives. And they show. They understand something about goodness. So what happens next? Well, here's Paul. And he decides he'll get some sticks and he'll help with the fire. But unfortunately, one of those sticks is alive. (laughs) And it bites him. So the natives see this. And what do they say? Aha! He must be a bad dude. (laughs) He must be some kind of murderer or something. Because the sea didn't get you, but the viper did. And here's the word that they use. Justice will not let him live. You know what that tells me? They have a sense of justice. You've done something wrong. There's going to be consequences. You see a sense of goodness. You see a sense of of justice. And so the next thing they say is, when he doesn't die, he must be a God. So you know what that tells me? Now I know something about their theology. (laughs) He must be a God. Well, he's not a God. But let me ask you this. Did Paul ever reason with anybody concerning righteousness and self-control and judgment? Yeah, that's way back in Jerusalem. That's Felix. (laughs) And when Felix heard about all that, you know what Felix did? It says he trembled. But then the next thing he did, he said, go away. (laughs) I don't want to hear no more. Isn't that unfortunate? And yet right here on this island, you see it. And then when Paul doesn't die, they say, you must be a God. Let me ask you this. Did Paul ever talk to anybody about their false gods? Do you remember Acts chapter 17? I was passing through your city and I saw all these statues that you built and there's one to an unknown God and that God that you don't know, I'm going to tell you about. So did Paul ever talk about Righteousness and self-control and judgment. Did he ever talk about theology? Ever talk about that unknown God? I want to tell you about that God. And then it just moves on. And what happens next 
It says that there was this man, Publius, leading citizen, and he takes care of him for three days. And it kind of seems to me like you got 276 people. Hey, let's kind of take care of these folks for three days. We'll kind of make arrangements for the winter. You think maybe that's what's going on? But somehow, he ends up having Paul see to his father. Do you think maybe they might have told him, hey, this guy is the one who said this ship was going to end up here. It turned out exactly like he said it was going to. Then he got on here and he got bitten and he didn't die. It didn't even bother him. There's something unusual about this guy. Well, let me talk to him. And he tells him about his father. And he comes in, and what's Paul do? He prays. Lays hands on him. And he heals him. It turned out pretty good, didn't it? And then what's the rest of the people do? They all bring their sick. And Paul heals them all. That's Do you think maybe they're thinking now? Sure, glad we showed a little hospitality to this guy. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And the reason why I think it's amazing is this: is because a long time ago, you remember when God called Abraham, and He said, "I'm going to make of you a great nation." And he also said that through your seed, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And then in verse 3 of chapter 12, Genesis, he said, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. People bless you, Abraham. I'll take notice of it. It's the same thing that Jesus talked about over Matthew, the 10th chapter. When he was talking about anyone who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. And they shall receive a prophet's reward. But do you remember also when Jesus told them, when you come into an area and they don't want to hear you, shake the dust off your feet. Do you think God is concerned about the way his people are treated. Yeah. And you know what a prophet's reward is? It's salvation. And those who receive a prophet. In the name of a prophet. Shall receive a prophet's reward. I'm not just saying because they give you a drink of water. That they got eternal salvation. But what is being said is. If they receive you then more than likely they will listen to you and then they can have that prophet's reward. Acts chapter 28 verse 10. When they finally got ready to leave, what's it say? They provided them with everything they needed. Do you see what just took place there? Here comes the Apostle Paul. They didn't know it. (laughs) But it's not long after he's there, they realize he's somebody special. And they've been kind to him. And God 
through Paul has blessed them. And now when they get ready to leave, give them everything they need. And they do. And they do. So let me ask you this question. God sends the good news. Those who are receptive receive a blessing. And those who have been blessed, they give back. Sound familiar? Does that sound like what happened? So people ask this question. How many Christians were there on Malta? How many churches were established on Malta? How many people were baptized on Malta? And you know what I say? I don't know. But isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit didn't reveal any of that? Isn't that interesting? Every place Paul ever went, was he preaching the gospel? Were there some who believed and were baptized? Yeah. But it doesn't say anything. But do you know what it does say? It says there were these natives and they understood something about goodness. They understood something about justice. And they recognized he was different. And so I would ask myself, and I think you would ask yourself, He spent three months there. Wouldn't it have been tragic of after three months of having an apostle in your midst and the blessings of God laid out to you that if he left and there was nobody that obeyed the gospel? (coughs) Excuse me. Wouldn't we say that's sad? They had it all. You know why I think the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us? I think it's because the Holy Spirit's asking us a question. Do you understand goodness? Do you understand justice? Do you understand blessings from God? And if you look at Malta and you think Nobody obeyed the gospel. Would you say, that's sad. And we would make a judgment about them, wouldn't we? You know what the Holy Spirit's saying, I believe? Can you make the same application to yourself? Do you have the good news? Do you have blessings from God? Do you understand goodness? Do you understand justice? What do you think those folks should have done with it? So the question is, what are you going to do with it? That's multiple. So I'll leave it there and extend the invitation. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.